Welcome to Pelly Talks, brought to you thanks to Seed Golf Balls, who deliver you affordable tour performance, same performance, half the price. Check them out at www.seedgolf.com and try them today. I use the Seed 2 ball. It's really, really good for me on Lynx Golf. Holds its ball flight really well in the wind. On today's show, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Post Malone's number one fan. It's Keelan McDonough, everybody. But first, as Gabe Byrne would have said, roll it there, Colette. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Where's Joe Bradley? What do you think of that? Welcome to Paddy Talks. This is another episode that's remote. Um, it's not Scotland this week. It's uh, Fiddler's Elbow. Great name, great place. We're interviewing a great person. Keenan McDonough. How are things? I'm great, Paddy. You know yourself. Thanks for having me on. Actually, no, but I'm grand. I'm working from home. Um, things have changed in your world as well. We can move that a small bit if you want. Uh, coronavirus will still be around when um, when this goes out, so it's still top of mind. Um. But the shows are all around, I suppose, getting to know the, the PGA golfers of, of Ireland and, and those of Irish descent. The, you're now part of the diaspora, whether you <laughs> like it or not. Uh, <laughs> so, it's, you know, we can talk about coronavirus, but we'll keep it more uplifting than that, I think, in terms of like, how you got into golf and you represented Ireland at multiple levels and turned pro and are teaching the next um, generation. So you're in the States now, what, a year? Yeah, I got here the 10th of June last year, so coming up on a year soon enough, yeah. Right, we'll get right back into the start of things, Keelan. What's your earliest golfing memory? Uh, my earliest golfing memory would be probably when I was about seven or eight. My dad my dad was working over in the States, I think, for a couple of weeks, and he brought me back a junior set of clubs that actually had a lightweight steel shaft in them, which were, at the time... I've, I, I still to this day I've never seen anything like it but I remember going out to a long golf club with him I caddy for him on a Sunday morning in his four ball every Sunday and then while he went in having a few pints I'd go and flick around the, the chipping green and putting green and it just kind of took off from there I suppose from seven or eight um, couldn't join the golf club officially till I was 10 I think um, in that loan right. and when I joined I was still in the the throws of getting into team sports was playing soccer and Gaelic. And um, after about two or three years, I realized that I had a bit of a talent for it, but we were only playing during the summers. And I was uh, decided when I was about 14 or 15 to, to stop all team sports and stick with the golf. And I was on, kind of got put on coaching panels when I was younger at that age, up in Ballon Road with the Connacht GUI. Um, that's kind of where it started, yeah. I suppose everyone might be listening to more podcasts these days. For any, I suppose, early teens and stuff who were kind of like, how, good, how do I get on a Connacht Boys team or a Munster Boys team? Did they spot you locally or did you know someone or how did that come about? Um, as far as I'm aware, the golf clubs in Connacht are contacted by the branch and whoever the junior convener is at the club is asked to put forward one or two, three players, depending on how big their junior program is, to... Uh, first of all go for an assessment so i would have gone up to ballon robe when i was about 10 or 11 i'd say 
maybe even 12 and I was kind of assessed on swing and stuff like that and then a couple of weeks later I got a I got a letter saying that I was asked to be on the at the time I think it was the under 12 development panel um and kind of started on from there and then that's really what got my interest into it because obviously I realized that I was doing pretty well at home but I was also able to progress my game as a junior in the province as well at such an early age is it was a big confidence boost for any any kid my age at the time so and I'm sure that's still ongoing I think the programs in in all the provinces are still uh going from strength to strength and yeah I suppose it's those I have to thank initially my dad and the junior convener for getting me into it and here I am sitting in a room in New Jersey having a podcast about about golf 20 years later or whatever it is so it's pretty cool it's a bit of a journey all right so to trying to cover a couple of bases high level you represented conic boys from around 2006 7 through to youths golf irish youths champion in 2009 mm-hmm. um and what caliber what caliber of a of a championship is that you what age group is it? is it 16s or 14s or uh the irish youths was under 21 Oh, well, there we go. 2009. So that would have made you what? I was only 18 or 19 at the time, I think. Okay, doke. Yeah. Um, so you, well, you won numerous championships at that, at that stage, represented the country, and then were on men's panels from 2009-2012. So can we get into kind of the progression from uh, being a Connick panelist and on that team and then kind of breaking into the the Irish team from there? Yeah, sure. Uh, I would have been on Connacht panels, obviously, from the age of 12 all the way through till, till being a senior Interpro with them, which I was for, I think, I may have played seven or eight senior interprovincials, maybe even nine. Um, so under 15s, under 16s, under 17s, I was playing boys golf. I was by no means anywhere near the, the top of the tree when it came to talent at that age, but I was I was one of the players that I think continually progressed to get better as the years went on um i didn't quite make the irish boys home internationals team i think it was in 2007 maybe eight i was non-traveling reserve for that um but i knew personally that my game was was definitely getting better every year even though i wasn't making those teams and then um the year of 2009 i was in second year in minute on the paddy harrington scholarship um my game just kind of went up a different level. We actually had a weekend with Bob Torrance. He came over the weekend before the Irish Open, uh, obviously through Porrick, and we were due to spend either a Saturday or a Sunday with him, depending on our availability. I went on the Saturday, and Bob actually requested that I come back on the Sunday to spend the Sunday with him as well, so that was pretty cool. Um, That's savage. So, um, yeah, he he obviously seen something, and... Me being me, I just went along with it and did what he told me to do. I went back then. We studied for two and a half weeks for our exams. I was 26th reserve for the East of Ireland three weeks later. Um, I remember I got a lift up on the morning of the first round. I was still 7th or 8th reserve. But when I got there, I got out within an hour of being there. So I got on the first tee. Hadn't played 18 holes in a month. The last time I swung the club was that Sunday with Bob Torrance. Um, I was six over par after six holes, I think, and I ended up shooting level par for the tournament, seventy-two holes, and finishing third. So that was kind of the 
that was the kickstart to that season. I was just doing what he told me to do. Um, having worked for years with Brendan McDade and the coaches in in Connacht as well all the way through, but there was something about what Bob did that just it just clicked and I made it easy. And that year I went down to win the Irish shoots and played for the Irish men's team at the age of nineteen, which was my first ever cap for the official Irish team. So um yeah, it was that was kind of the start of of me realising that I actually I was actually all right at the game. <laughs> <laughs> say more than all right did you say you were 26th reserve yeah at the initial ballot yeah when the first draw went in i think my handicap when i entered it my handicap was i'm gonna guess like 1.4 or something and then okay when i got in and i obviously played pretty well in the last few rounds the first round i think i shot four over and then i got it back to level over the next few rounds i think my handicap went to plus one that weekend in, in, in two days good man yourself yeah, huh? that's one way to do it that's one way to do it yeah um how did the scholarship in uh, minute come about because i understand i spoke with um with barry and um that's a podcast coming out pretty soon in that there's different levels of scholarship available which i didn't know at all so which level um did you come into yeah it's a that's a good question actually patty because when i did it uh i entered in 2007 we were the we were the guinea pigs as we used to call ourselves we were the first ever batch of golfers on the park harrington golf scholarship or the paddy harrington golf scholarship so so when we went in um there was the likes of myself brendan walton richard bridges keen curly barry fenley we were all on uh we're all in first year all on the scholarship but it was literally just us and neil manship um at the time obviously it was in its baby steps and it was a there was a lot of learning if you look at it right now it's a completely different program it's it's rivaling the top colleges in america and around the world but when we went in we were we were part-time students and part-time golfers and we got a lot over personally i got a lot over um there's like there's a lot to be said for for the investment that was made in initially um bob joyce was was the man behind the scenes that got it going um but yeah when we went in in our first year we we played golf a couple of times a week we went out to brady's on a wednesday night and studied the odd bit here and there if we were to tell the truth but uh you can see the program now as as barry has probably explained to you there's different tiers they've gone full circle with golf coaching and yoga and dietitians and psychologists and traveling worldwide for tournaments and you can see in the caliber of player that they're producing that that it's definitely going on the right tracks. So you've got Walker Cup players coming through there and you've Gary Hurley and Stuart Graham and Robert Do- Robin Dawson and um no it's great. It's it's great to to say that I was a part of that program and to to see where it was because I was obviously the first batch on it to see where we started out and to see where it's come through now. Um even while I was finishing up my, my PGA at the GUI I could see the the uh the difference in the training that the lads have and the kind of intensity I suppose that they have. We were we were kind of let off on a leash to do what we want, but some of us some of us made use of it and we learned from it and you can see now that's kind of why it's it is where it is today. No, oh, definitely. Um that podcast is coming soon for all your listeners out there. Um <laughs> to um can you give us an insight because you played, I suppose as I call it the majors of amateur golf for for, for many years. Can you explain, I suppose, your experience of them 
and maybe you're as you combined it with being in the scholarship program did you have did you set yourself goals each year or did you kind of take it as it comes how did you approach kind of the amateur circuit when you were um, part of it yeah when i first started playing i suppose when i first started playing the majors such as the west of ireland which was always at easter uh the south of ireland the north all of those irish close irish amateur at first i was actually just reluctant to get into the field because my handicap was it wasn't as low as other guys my age or um in my group so my first taste of those would have been the west where they they um i think rona malarney may have touched on this in a previous podcast but if you were a member of a conic panel and you were within a certain criteria of the uh of the entry list or a certain i think it was a shot in the handicap or something like that you were able to get yourself a 6 30 tea time on a cold friday morning good friday up in ross's point um so that was my first taste of it and then as i progressed through with manuk my handicap came down and i was i didn't have any issues getting into these tournaments and um certain ones i didn't play too well in for some reason in ross's point i never really did too well i think the last 16 was the best i ever did um the the south of ireland was for many reasons probably my favorite um I did quite well there a couple of times um, without getting my hands on the trophy, which is probably the the only thing from my amateur career that that I kind of left behind. I really that was the one I I really wanted to get. Um, not just because of I did well there, but the golf course itself, the people, the area. The, there's just something something pretty special about that Hinch area. Um, then I progressed on to playing. Uh, after I played for the home internationals team, I would have got sent to a certain amount of tournaments outside of Ireland. Um, so I played the European amateur, the British amateur, um, a couple of other ones along the way. And then while at Minute, I represented the Irish universities team three times in Spain, Sun City in South Africa, and uh, Mission Hills in China. Crikey. Huh? Yeah. Is that the one with the where the the bunkers are pandas? Uh, there I think there's like twelve golf courses on the property that we were at. So, so I suppose as the years progress, your expectations rose, and um, I actually would have came across here in 2010. It would have been one of the last South of Ireland's I would have gone to to see as I was in the working environment at that time. I think it took two weeks off to go watch it that year. Um, you and I joke about it, and I thought as our common friend, uh, Niall McLean, that is possibly the hairiest South of Ireland final in the history of time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if people don't know what I'm talking about, if you're in Le Hinch, spin up to the, the Hall of Fame there, which is all the pictures of uh, the finalists and the and the winners over the years, going back to going back decades and decades, back to the 50s and earlier. But 2010 really does stand out. Um, <laughs> It's like a Gillette head, but um, yeah, or, or the it could be brill cream, the art in it to a Gillette, yeah, brill cream more so, yeah, uh, be good head for beard oil, maybe. But um, yeah, so going through the scholarship, um, as many people are now, there's different levels of it, etc. What was your end goal, I suppose, for when, when you finished? Was it 2000, um, 2011? Yeah, yeah. So, did you have an end goal as to was it to turn pro and try and make it on some kind of touring level, or did you know where you were going to go? Um, I suppose when I finished up, 
my game was yeah my game was still trending towards improvement on a on a kind of month to month basis or a year to year basis um my main goal was to get my degree um just to keep the parents happy so I'd have something to fall back on if it was something that I ended up trying to make it as a golf pro um I the year after I kind of took a year out yeah I don't think I really did much um I had a personal loss in 2012 which kind of set me back and at, before yeah. that had happened um I was like a horse running in entry I was tunnel vision I was just golf 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 there was nothing else that I could see or was interested in um and then when I went through that experience which took me out of kind of golf and life I suppose for almost a year it kind of opened my eyes up to you know what maybe maybe there's a bit more to life than golf um maybe I should try and start earning a living or maybe I should I wasn't really I was I was only 22 23 at the time so it was kind of a confusing period but I ended up in what did I do I think I went to Portugal actually for a while I went out there to kind of set my head straight and see where I was going. Did I want to play golf? Did I not want to play golf? Um, and I actually came back and I started working in the financial industry in Dublin. I started working in AIB in Capel Street, which don't get me wrong, was probably, it was, I worked there for like 10 or 11 months. It was great. Like I, I did enjoy it. It was, I had my own bit of freedom. I had an apartment in Dublin. I was earning a decent wage for, for what I thought it was at that age. Um, I then progressed on to working for the bank in New York Mellon down in uh, the IFSC area. And that was only about four months in. Uh, we went, we actually, there was like a, there was a weekend of beer planned one weekend and we went out Friday and Saturday and sitting around Sunday doing nothing. I remember walking into work on Monday morning, there was lashing rain coming down, uh, coming down from Clontarf area, walking in towards the IFSC and I was like, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm, I can't keep doing this. Like this is not interesting to me. I'm hating the idea of walking in here at eight o'clock in the Monday morning. So I went in, uh, didn't sound to anybody. Went straight on the PGA website. And I was like, you know what? Let's let's go back to golf because I'd always had a kind of an interest in the teaching side of things. Even though playing took over for for many a year, I was always able to give my dad a couple of tips here and there, or my brother, or my friends, and they were able to kind of understand what I was saying in a communication level and they were able to see progress and improvement. So I went on the PTA website and randomly enough, there's this job available in Tullamore Golf Club with um, a guy who I'd known for years, Bernard Quigley, was in Carton House when I was at Minute. So I sent him a text and then I rang him at lunchtime. I met him in Carton House that night. On that Monday? Yeah. So you rang him that Monday and you met him that night. Excellent. Yeah, keep going. (laughs) I met him that night in the hotel in Carton for coffee. Um, bearing in mind, I, that Monday morning when I went in, there was a full, full-time full contract on my table for, on my desk for like a, a salary that to me might as well have been two million. It was that much. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a massive amount of money for, for the position I was in. It was a lot of money, but I still went through with meeting Bernard and before the coffees got to our table in the hotel in Carton there in the lobby, I had, taking the job and I had gone home and I handed in my notice the next morning and they hadn't a clue what was going on. They were like, we're just after off this. I was like, honestly, I, I appreciate it, but this is not for me. I need to go and do something that I love. And so I moved home, started my PJ training at Bernard, which was great. I was there for about a year and a half. 
I then got a job in La Hinch, which was amazing. I was there for a full season in 2016, I think. 16, yeah, that's kind of the second time you popped on my radar. Yeah. Was, um, um, I was like, who's this guy? And then, was, oh, he's the hairy, he's the hairy fat from 2010. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he, he's back. Um, so, yeah, loved the idea of doing the PJ. I talked to a few friends that had gone through it beforehand, and they were like, you know, it's, it's a tough slog for three years. The money isn't great, but if it's something you want to do, you can take it anywhere afterwards. So I uh, I went into it with an open mind, knowing that I love golf and I genuinely had an interest in the teaching side of things. Um, so I did my training. Um, I finished up my training at the GUI with Kenny Fahey, Niall McGlynn, Alan Kelly, and Mary Doyle came on board and Callum Slater before I finished. Um, so everybody, everybody I'd met through the PGA training program was was super helpful and um dave carney in particular who's uh heavily involved with the ilgu he was uh he was probably the number one person i i had met through the program he helped me no end he was always there if i needed to talk he was answering any questions i had and for some reason now i've ended up sitting in uh in a pretty decent job out here in fiddler's album new jersey which came about from kind of right place, right time conversation. One morning in the hinge, I was on the range and just doing like I normally did. I was helping out, getting things set up and I was meeting all the the American guys that were over that were there day in, day out. And Oh, so this is when you were in the hinge. So yeah, you had this conversation in like 2016. 2016, yeah. So okay. every now and again, they'd ask me like who I was or what I wanted to do with my life or blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, oh yeah, like ideally I'd like to go to America or I'd love the idea of going over there and experiencing the golf industry there. And obviously like got handed about 300 business cards and dropped a few emails, but one guy came up to me and he said, I told him the story and he was like, look, if you want to go to America, I'll make sure it happens. So again, I took that with a pinch of salt at the time. I didn't want to get my hopes up, but uh, six months later, I got a phone call from the then director of instruction or director of golf at Fiddler's Elbow who invited me out here for, for four days to check out the place and see that I like it. And it just so happened my brother was living in Brooklyn, New York at the time. So I was visiting him. Yeah. And, um, so then I came out, seen it, loved it, went back home, was even more determined to get my, my PGA finished and get, get moving. And once that all came true, kind of this time last year, I got back in touch with Fiddler's Elbow and they figured everything out from there. So they started my visa and here I am now working alongside the, the number two ranked golf coach in the world as Mike Adams is and learning every day and the fiddler's elbow is, is uh it's you'll have to come out and see it Paddy. It's kinda of like a circus compared to that we have at home. <laughs> well I'll tell you one thing. Um when we were setting this up for today, this podcast, my sister in law and her family live eleven minutes away from Fiddler's Elbow, so that will happen. <laughs> um really <laughs> yeah really um so yeah they might be listening to this all over sandra and juan and the kids and all that kind of jazz right but um yeah there's two reasons i want to go to the states one is for family and one is extended family which is you and in fitter's elbow um i have a couple of questions right one is um the gui academy because i love going there personally right and it's actually mm-hmm. where um i got my first proper bank of lessons and it was actually with you um so everybody, everybody else, everybody else has to thank you for for me um 
um, taking some money off him the last couple of years. Um, got him from 11 to uh, 7. So there you go. Um, mm-hmm. In 18 months. So, so there you go. Um, one, of the best, one of the best tips. And like you said, like you were giving tips to your dad or whatever else, and you, you really know how to communicate to people. So if I want technical, you can get technical. But if it's just a simple, you know, my favorite quote was just swing the belly at it. You know, there you go. Uh, <laughs> that, that was a thing that I took with me for about three months. I did the business. But, um, but if you want technical, you can definitely you do technical as well. Yeah. The, the, que- the question in terms of the academy, um, I don't want to be comparing facilities or anything else, but it's more so the environment you're in. Um, whether it's ex- for, for people who want to go to the academy for coaching or for practice or for would-be pros who want to, to check it out. Can you describe kind of the, the environment and the, the attitude towards maybe high performance that's in the academy these days? Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, the GOI, the National Academy there is is probably, the, in my opinion, the best in, in the country when it comes to a facility for for your guy who wants to go on a rainy Saturday afternoon and hit golf balls because it's too wet outside and he's in a hoodie or he's in a in his Man United jersey after watching a match, or it's where the likes of Paul Carrington or Shane Lowry go to practice when they're at home or when they've got downtime, and then you've got everybody in between. So it's it's um it's known as the obviously the National Golf Golf Academy of Ireland, but it's open to everybody. It's you can hit balls. There's Chipping putting academies, there's grass bays, there's any amount of teachers there with Niall, Kenny, Callum, Mary. Um, I'm not sure if since I've left, if there's anyone else popping in and out, Donald Scott is there. Um, there's training programs for the, the GUI are based there, the Leinster GUI are based there. Um, and then you've got the the clinics that the boys do that I that I used to do. They've got the long game clinics, the short game clinics, the full day clinics. Um, it's just it's it's top class from kind of start to finish when you when you get out if you've never been there before and you get out of your car and you're walking in there's a there's a bit of a vibe about the place that it's it's a bit different everywhere else the the standard of range ball is a bit different the the upkeep of the place is different um the customer service you get i'm sure now even when i was there the customer service is pretty good i'd like to think but uh it's um it was it was <laughs> And they have a lovely P point of sale system put in now since you've been gone. So they, yeah, okay. they, they've brought this a little bit further. But uh, no, it hasn't It hasn't subsided in your absence. Don't worry. That's all right. That's good. I, I've been talking to Niall lately. All right? He seems to be as, as busy as ever, which is great. He was always he was always a great man for uh, giving 100 lessons a day. So if anyone out there is looking for a, for a lesson or two of anybody in the uh, GOI National Academy, you can't go wrong with any of them. But Niall himself will talk himself into the wall. He'll, he'll get you there. I'm going to Niall now, so I can attest to that. I know, yeah. He's got me to, seven, <laughs> got me to six, so uh, still progressing, still progressing. Good. Um, team effort, team effort. <laughs> team effort, that's right. Um, next question then is, what is it like working with um, the second best golf coach on the planet? Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's pretty impressive. I, I, I gotta say it's, it is pretty amazing. Um, I'd, I'd known about him before I got out here, not a hell of a lot to be honest, but I'd known about him and, um, it was funny when I got off the plane, I got picked up by my boss, the director of golf, and he drove me to the, the local Irish bar near the club. And 
I was wrecked. I just wanted to go to sleep. And he's like, oh, Mike is going to join us. And I was like, oh, God, here we go. So Mike walks in and straight in just pounding questions at me about my views on the golf swing and the grip and ground forces. And this is a lot of the stuff that I've done with him. I was never... I was never able to access it at home. Not that I wasn't able to access it, but I didn't. I don't think too many people are doing it back home. It's getting a bit more, a bit more known about now in relation to ground forces and swing catalysts and smart to move plates and using the ground to create speed. And this was uh, like I've always said to him. Anytime I'm talking to him, I was like, I'm here to learn, and I've no problem being wrong. But I'm never going to stand here and try and try and say something that I don't understand or don't believe is right so he's he's taken me under his wing and he's always been very helpful whether it be shadowing him for four or five hours a day while he's teaching or giving him a call at night or him inviting me out to dinner every now and again and chatting about the golf swing and um we actually were down in orlando in january for the pga show at work and yeah uh work let me stay on for an extra i think it was three days they they covered my expenses for a one of Mike Adams's um, swing seminars. So that went on for like three days. So we were inside, outside, inside, outside, using force plates, using uh, 3D stuff. And it's just all, you know, it's amazing. The opportunities that I've been given since I got off that plane are way beyond anything I ever would have expected. Um, even outside of the, the teaching side of things, like Mike is he's going to come back. He's a medalist now at the moment in Florida. So he comes back to us on the 1st of May. He'll be here through till September, all going well that this virus kind of subsides and goes away. But from that, like if it's going to be anything like last year, he's fully booked six days a week, nine hours a day. And you can imagine what he's charging if he's number two uh, instructor in the world. <laughs> I can say, I can, yeah, I can actually. I can't imagine. I'm scared. I'm scared to imagine. Um, but you, maybe you've that to look forward to yourself. Um, one big question I know people are really, really, really want me to ask is, um, why post Malone? <laughs> again it's like the uh like that conversation i had in the hinge it was the right place at the right time <laughs> i will go into more detail so, if you want uh, so like so like the i know it was when we you were giving lessons to me um there was a certain night out in dublin with post malone how did, yeah, that, how did that even come about it was it was initially my there's a good friend of mine neil harney he's from atlone he plays music for a living in uh, temple bar and him and my brother were in Dublin that night. My brother was watching one of Neil's uh, gigs. I don't know where it was in the old storehouse or somewhere. And I was I was actually in the academy working because I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, and this guy came up to him in the gig and he was like, "Can you play the ultra angle?" And he had like long dreadlocks and tattoos all over him and was wearing weird clothes. And Neil was like, "God, who's this that like?" So all right, he plays the song anyway. Next thing you know, this guy who he doesn't know is chiming in and blasting out the words and they get chatting afterwards and he's playing in the academy the night after and again I couldn't go because of work and I didn't really think much of it at the time so my brother and Neil went along and my brother being the wise owl that he is was moving to New York within a couple of weeks and he got all the contact details off the background people and got a night out brought Post Malone up to Everly and had Irish girls 
he was trying to chat up Irish guards and they were all telling him to go away. He was ugly and all this, that and the other, but I'm sure they might say something different now if he was to walk up to them. But for the life of him, he couldn't <laughs> he couldn't make conversation with anybody that night. But between one thing and another, anytime anytime they're in Ireland, they reach out to uh to my brother or Neil. And since I've come over here, anytime they're anywhere near me, they get in contact with me and invite me along to the shows and I was there but I've seen I've seen them five times since I got over last two. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. That's, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool story. Sure. You might yeah. get a golf cup in his hands soon and, and you'll see where that Maybe. One goes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it all, it all kind of stems back to the fact that obviously the lads met him and then I was involved at the start and this is before he ever made famous. He was playing to maybe 200 people in the academy and they had no idea where he was going or how big he was going to get, but they're pretty, they're pretty good to us because they've, they've, uh, they've seen that we've been interested since day one. It's not like we're jumping on the bandwagon or anything. So, no, exactly. If there's one thing to be learned, it's it's actually before I press record, we had a quick chat, and uh, it comes back to like you had your man's uh, business card from 2016, but you had it to reach out to in 2019. Yeah, but like I it in the hinge for, Jesus, for seven years and. Uh, <laughs> And like I, I did ten of business cards um, from every year, and I'd say when I qualified in college, I was like, you know what, I can get rid of these now. <laughs> and I had, yeah. I'd say, three, four hundred business cards, and you're talking like directors of golf's and everyone I bloody dream of having on this little show of mine now. Yeah. You know? So anybody listening, if you have business cards, even if it's from trade shows or whatever, keep them in the tin, keep the tin, because there might come a time, Hold on like a time that. like now. Yeah, like a time like now when like you need an option and then you've three or four hundred people to call looking for an option. So um, that's yeah. one learning anyway. Um, right. So it's, it's part of the show now where we're going to get into some real deep questions. Right. So um, it's time for the, the quick fire Q&A, Keelan. So are you ready for this? Beautiful. Fire away. Spot, spot on. What would your walk on song be? Oh, <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to have to say Post Malone, am I? Um, well, you, you, you'd be shot if you didn't. Yeah, so like. <laughs> I might lose all connection with them. Uh, I would go for Post Malone Circles. Nice one. Jim or pizza? Uh, believe it or not, recently, in the last, since I got here, it's Jim. Uh, Been shedding no, a few pounds. You can't find good, you can't find, you can't find good pizza in the States, I hear. This <laughs> is Papa John's. Um... Hat visor or a Keelan Rafferty bucket hat? Um, boom, boom, boom. I'm gonna have to say hat. I haven't actually. I've looked. I've actually. I actually looked last summer for a Keelan Rafferty bucket hat over here because it was so hot in the summer. I could have done with it, but I don't know if it would suit me. If I find one, I let you See, know. See, that, that's my same it. predicament. Is I've I've even gone so far as trying them on. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know that it suit me. I think I just got to bite the bullet and just wear it. And then, do you know what it does? Yeah, exactly. But uh, I go with hat. Good man. Happy Gilmore or Tin Cup? Um, this is going to sound weird. I'm going to say Happy Gilmore because I haven't seen Tin Cup. Ah, <laughs> uh, here. Well, now, there you go. You're stuck in the house, nothing to watch. There you go. That's exactly. you can do this afternoon. Yeah. The next one is a non question for you Guinness or Heineken? <laughs> Guinness all day, but I haven't had it since we came over here. Just skipped it. <laughs> 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 Le Hinch or Port Marnock? 
Uh, Lynch all day. That's course in the world. Walk or cart? Um, walk. Although sometimes over here it's too hot and you got to take a cart. But in this day, right now, if I'm going golf, I'm walking. I ain't touching nothing with this coronavirus. <laughs> win the Masters or win the Open? Oh, it's got to be the Open. Um, I think it always was, but definitely after what Shane did last year on an Irishman winning the Open on Irish soil, that's yeah, if that doesn't inspire you to want to do something like that if you're a young kid or whatever. That was it's got to be the Open, yeah. That was it. Yeah, something special that was. Yeah. Would you rather drive it like Dustin Johnson or drive it like Zach Johnson? Um. Sure. Yeah, probably I've caddied for Dustin before, so I've seen how he does it. That's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, I'd probably take Dustin. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You've caddied for Dustin Johnson. Let's pause the Q&A. How <laughs> the hell did that happen? Uh, right place, right time, Paddy. This is the third time on this podcast we're going to have a right place, right time scenario. I think we have the title for the podcast, don't we? Right time, right place. <laughs> um, how did it happen? I was in Zico on a Friday night in Dublin, summer 2015. I love um, how all these stories originate somewhere around <laughs> a social outlet. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm sitting there and I, I, I don't think I actually had a pint of Guinness, man, because I don't think I'd drink in, in those sort of places, but probably a vodka and coke, man, or something. And this guy walked past in normal clothes, no golf hat on, I was like, you can't be I was like, you can't be there's no way that's Dustin Johnson he walked back past me again I was like oh my god what is he doing in there like so uh, I followed him upstairs he went upstairs to get some fresh air as he does and uh, just well I had a few pints of me at the time so I just walked straight up to him I was like where are you playing tomorrow he's like oh, I'm playing in Royal Dublin I was like oh well, I'm actually a member there at the moment where I was when I was working in the bank and uh, I was like Inside my head, I was like, you got to ask him. Just ask him. Like, If you don't ask him now, you're never going to get a chance. I was like, can I caddy for tomorrow? He's like, yeah, of course you can. No problem at all. Um, so the next morning... And was it like a home, social round or was it like a pre-open? Yeah, it was the weekend before the or... open. Yeah, he was with... Yeah. Um, I think he was playing with Foxy the day before, Noel Fox and Port Marino. He's friends yeah. with Foxy. And then um, he was with two guys from TaylorMade. And Dermot Desmond's son, I think, made up the four ball. So a bad four ball, right place, right time. Yeah. So it was actually it was a funny enough story having rocked down to Royal Dublin and everybody that was a past captain was there with jackets on, the red carpet might as well have been rolled out and Dustin arrives down in a nineteen ninety seven Toyota Corolla taxi <laughs> from the Shelburne, I think is where he was staying. And oh, he hops out of the back of it like a giant, throws whatever he threw on the back seat and just walks straight over to me. What's up, Mac? Gives me a high five. He's like, let's go. I think, all right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, that, we almost hit that story. Uh, not yeah, that nearly, that nearly slipped, yeah. That nearly slipped. Um, way to the end. Um, right, back to the Q&A. Yeah. It's right now. But anyway, Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. KMAC Golf Play Instruction for anybody out there looking to get some, yes. uh, some interesting feedback from me or Mike Adams. Exactly. Play or practice? Uh, play. Come on yourself, Keenan. Thank you so much for your time, uh, especially given the time difference these days. Um, and yeah, stay healthy, buddy. I will. You too. Thanks for having me, Paddy.
Talk to you soon. That was Keaton Mac. Keaton Mac Golf Instruction. All of his profiles will be down in the show notes below. Or if you can't see show notes, wherever you listen to this podcast, to check out um, my Instagram. I'll have uh, recent posts where you can find Keelan. What a guy he is. I can't believe that Dustin Johnson's story almost went untold. Um, just tells you. They always ask that extra question. In the times we live in now with coronavirus and golf courses are actually closed now the last couple of days. Um, I think everybody's investing in putting greens, it seems, or swing nets for their backyard but one thing you can also do is go to www.pellygolf.com and join the timesheet there there is loads of ideas circulating around and brands and logos and stuff like that about my dream idea um that kind of came about from my nine-year-old's interest in calling the golf course the golf house and my own dream of one day building a a holistic end-to-end golf center of excellence and let me be in the middle kind of recording these podcasts with everyone that visits so if you're into that or want to see how that comes about do join the timesheet thank you for pressing play on this episode it was one of my favorites so far with keelan uh, a good buddy of mine i can't wait to see him again hopefully when this kind of covid19 passes uh, we'll be able to share a couple more stories um together thank you all for pressing play please do share the show with your family and friends until we teed up again soon i'm patty <laughs>